You're listening to the Garden City Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Garden City is doing, you can go to GardenCityNW.com slash give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. I want to start with a question. How do you think the world views the church right now? How do you think people feel about the church? While you're thinking about that, here's an important account about how the ancient world saw the ancient church during troubled times. It says, instead of escaping the ugly realities of their time, the Christians embraced them. By doing willingly what the pagan non-believers diligently avoided, they both neutralized and in some measure overcame the forces that threatened them. Christians visited the sick. Christians comforted the widow and the orphan. Christians redeemed the disgraces of starvation and sickness and squalor by making them an opportunity for fellowship and love. That's from Lewis Mumford. Now, let me ask that question again, but for today. Since the pandemic hit, how does the world see the church? How do you think people generally think about the church? I've been recently talking with many people about this subject. Here's some quotes from some of these meetings. Feels like the American church is all about rules that don't love people. Some people, when they think of the church, they said it was a, like a group with a lot of conspiracy theories going around. Someone else said, I see fracturing in the church. I had good friends who moved away to Texas where they could be with like-minded people. Another said, uh, it's a place where people are quickly dismissed. If you don't agree with the pastor or the church, you're out. If you have doubts, you're out. Another person said, the teaching I received hasn't prepared me for suffering. Another said, there seems to be a lack of openness and vulnerability. Another one said, as a minority, whenever bringing up racial and social justice issues, It was my problem. The church denied my experiences. Here's just a few more. One quote was, church doesn't believe that people can need mental health. And then finally, this was someone who works in the medical field, said most of their coworkers aren't Christians, yet they practice more compassion than Christians. How does the church go from being known for loving its neighbors in the ancient world to now being seen in some ways as doing the opposite or being the opposite. Now, although I know and can see the church is doing some amazing things and really good work in the world, is it possible that we've missed the moment or missed some key moments the last few years as the body of Christ? Now, I'm going to be breaking this teaching down to four sections. We're going to talk about the wildfire, the effects of the wildfire, the Good Samaritan, and a super bloom. All right, so I'm going to try to do that quickly. I might also add that this portion of the sermon is based on a leader, a writer, a friend I really respect named Peter Sung. A lot of this is based on work he's done, a book he's writing, and leadership that he's giving to the church. So I want to encourage you um, to buy his book when it comes out. It's not out yet, but it will be. 
I also want to encourage you to check out a podcast interview I did with Peter that should be coming out soon. It's fantastic, and it goes deeper into this subject. So let's start with the effect of the pandemic on the church. The pandemic has been like a wildfire. It's been a wildfire culturally. When you look at what wildfires do, they ravage and destroy. They destroy and disrupt ecosystems, roads, water supplies, air quality, crops, resources, animals, people. Wildfires turn common good things into objects of combustion that fuel more destruction and more flame. The pandemic was a wildfire that ripped through our world and our lives, and it had an effect on the church. So let's talk about that impact. Here's some statistics. 65% of churches, the majority of churches, are seeing 50% to 90% less people coming to church. Wow. Most churches are seeing less people. Have you looked around and maybe your church or faith community been like, where did everybody go? This is uh, being experienced around, especially the North American church. And in um, North America, only 9% of churches are seeing growth right now. Only 9%. Most of these are from the South. That means 91% of churches are declining. It kind of makes you ask the question, like, what is going on? Are we okay? Have you ever wondered that about your own faith community, your church, your, your, uh, maybe your small group of friends? Like, what's going on with us? What's going on with the church? I think it's real easy with those statistics and that reality for churches and leaders to want to go back to what was, to look back to the past and try to bring that to, to now and wait for people who aren't coming back and try to do church for a, you know the, the 90s or the early 2000s or, or whatever it might be, the pre-pandemic. But we need to go forward, not backward. We need to join what the Spirit of Jesus is doing in our time right now. Let me give you one more statistic that um, helps us capture what's going on in our world right now from a church perspective. In the year 2000, the average attendance in churches was 137 people. In 2021, that average is now 65 people attending a church on an average Sunday. So you've gone from 137 to 65 in average attendance. This trajectory in any industry or sector would cause people to freak out. <laughs> the church has been in decline for at least 20 years. As my friend Peter Sung says, this isn't an opinion. These are just numbers. If you've been wondering after the wildfire of COVID where all the people have gone and maybe even old friends that you had, this is why. According to Peter Sung, the wildfire of COVID has had five major effects on the church. The first effect is what he calls the revealing effect. COVID revealed and stripped back what was broken and ugly, unhealthy, corroded, weak within the church. It revealed what's all what's been there but we just hadn't seen it cultural convulsions the tensions revealed in the church around economics and broken infrastructure race political tribalism masks no masks vaccines anti-vaccine mental health i mean you just you could go down a huge list and that leads us to the next major impact or effect of the pandemic 
And that's an accelerating effect. The, the pandemic accelerated things within the church, um, both bad and good, but unhealthy and dying churches were dying and decaying more quickly during the pandemic. You saw an accelerated uh, cultural movement where post-Christian reality was accelerated. That was increasing and growing. What is post-Christian culture? It's an increasingly secular, indifferent, and church-resistant population in our culture. It's just the culture moving farther and farther away from Christian norms. Christian forms of influence are increasingly moving more toward the margins of culture and away from the center. This has caused discomfort to Christians who are used to playing a more central role within culture. Carrie Newoff says, in the U.S., people are increasingly indifferent to church. That's certainly been true in Canada, Europe, and places like Australia and New Zealand for a while. America's just beginning to follow that more closely, and COVID has accelerated that. That leads us to the next uh, effect, and this was a forcing effect. COVID forced us to confront things like community and individual health, race, injustice, disagreements. We were forced to talk about these things, and that's had a huge impact on the church. There's also been a, a flattening effect. We've been seeing a movement away from maybe less hierarchy and more toward a flattening and spreading out of leadership, from maybe a centralized approach to a more scattered approach within churches and church leadership. And there's some real positives to that. Churches had to entrust more to its people. Um, there was more need to work together and partner within the community, within other churches, within a church, and also with maybe organizations that aren't Christian. There's been a flattening out. And within churches, you even saw um, people moving from meeting in rows within the building to having to gather more in circles throughout the pandemic. And this leads us to the, the final or the fifth effect of the pandemic, and that's a focusing effect. The pandemic showed us what really mattered to us and in some ways showed us what should matter to us. It forced us to begin to press into clarity and focus on what the church could be and should be. And people began thinking about whether a church's essential values and theology or practice was a good fit for them. Maybe they, they had been going to a church for a while and didn't realize this was an essential practice or an essential belief at a church, and that caused them to maybe focus and find uh, the best fit for them. When everything begins falling apart, you become really clear on what you value, what you want. And that happened with churches collectively, and I also think it happened with individuals, gaining clarity, a focusing effect. And I would add another effect, you know, just tack it on to, to Peter's, but it, the pandemic had a dividing effect. That dividing effect, I think, was from broken trust. Um, trust was broken in families, between people, in workplaces, um, by leaders, leaders um, you know, in political authority, uh, leaders in professional authority, religious authority, uh, people who just had a re relational authority uh, within a, a friendship or a fam family. And there, I think this broken trust has, you know, really developed deep feelings of betrayal, you know, disbelief or lack of belief. And, and really just hurt. And these things have caused division. And whenever someone's hurt or the div division's happening, people are running to their corners and their different tribes and, 
and and kind of doing the us versus them and who's in, who's out, we're right, you're wrong. A lot of times when that's happening, when anytime conflict happens, most people have like one of three responses or all three at the same time, fight, flight, or freeze. You know, whether it's about um, political or, or racial or theological or, you know, like whatever you want, whatever division it is, people, some, some people want to fight about it. Some people flight, they run, they want to run away from it. Some people freeze and don't know what to do. And some people, they fight for a little bit, they, they run and then they freeze and they fight again. It's crazy and it's messy, but there's been this dividing effect. And what we're going to be looking at is with all these fractures and divisions in our culture and all the effects that the, the pandemic has had from revealing, accelerating, and all the rest, you know, how do we move from divided lives toward undivided lives? How do we move from being hurt toward being whole? Let's come back to this idea of a wildfire. Certainly, it's probably felt like that in the last few years, hasn't it? Now, a wildfire certainly has a destroying effect, but it also has a new life effect. A wildfire causes so much destruction, but it, it creates conditions for new growth. Nutrients from dead trees are returned to the soil. Forest floors are exposed to more sunlight. Old, unhealthy, or sick and invasive plants are cleared out and cleansed from the forest floor by the flame and the fire. New seeds can begin to grow in the expanded clearings, and greater sunlight um, allows for life to begin to uh, thrive and flourish. Fire-resistant trees, some pine cones, some of the some trees are they have bark that's actually fire-resistant. They, they actually can live through fires, and some of these trees have pine cones that require fire to release the seeds into new and barren earth to birth new life so the seeds can grow. Insects and wildlife find new and greater habitats to flourish in, all the old burnout, fallen trees, and this new landscape. And sometimes, after the wildfire, if the climate is right, the post-fire landscape will explode into thousands of flowers in the striking phenomenon known as superbloom. Now, this is from Peter Sung, some of the work he's done. I think from maybe the Audubon Society, but it helps paint a picture to me of a spiritual reality. See, super blooms only happen after a wildfire has occurred. I believe the church has been through a wildfire, but I also believe the church can be part of a post-pandemic spiritual super bloom, even in the, uh, in the middle of a post-Christian, post-wildfire ecosystem. Imagine if you will, like seeing the landscape right after a, a wildfire, just how devastating it would look like. Imagine being some of the animals uh, coming out of their dens, coming back to the woods and just looking around thinking, what happened? What's going on? Look at all the loss. Everything's so different. I wish it was like it used to be. Some might even try to act like nothing's changed. Some might try to run to the past and recreate how it was. Others will look to a new future and look to be part of a super bloom. So the question is, how can we be part of a super bloom? I think we need to get back to the, to the basic teachings of Jesus and the practices of the early church, which were based on the basic teachings of Jesus. Things like the great commandment, loving God with your, all your being, all your mind, all your soul, everything you have, loving him and loving your neighbor. The Sermon on the Mount, 
those kinds of things. Did you know during the second century, the church grew and spread in Egypt? It grew because female leaders and deacons in cities in Egypt went up and down the streets collecting unwanted babies that had been abandoned in the night. Often in public squares under pagan idols and statues, these incredible church women provided nursing mothers who nursed the abandoned children, bathed them, raised them. The early church of Egypt responded to this crisis and the challenges of their day by developing a seek and save baby ministry. I learned that from Ray Bakke. And another a quote that I love from the ancient church um, was this, for Christians cannot be distinguished from the rest of the human race by country or language or custom. This is written by someone trying to describe these Christians that just seem so, so wild and so countercultural. Goes on to say, they live in their own countries, but only as aliens. They busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. What the soul is to the body, that's what Christians are in the world. The soul is dispersed through all the members of the body, and Christians are scattered through all the cities of the world. I love the image of the church being sent into this broken and hurt world to love it and to do their best to live and love like Jesus, practicing the basic teachings of Jesus. Let's close today with just a few thoughts on the story of the Good Samaritan, the, uh, the story that we've been looking at the last two weeks. Remember from last week, Jesus answered to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? was this. It was a story about two religious leaders who see a wounded, half-dead man on the side of the road, and they walk by. And then a Samaritan, a heretic to, to Jewish people, sees the same wounded man, goes to him, helps restore the man to health. I want to focus on one key layer from this biblical story for our conversation today. At the end of their dialogue, after the story of the Good Samaritan Jesus asks a powerful question. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? The following statement from the lawyer is so powerful. In verse 37, the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. The one who demonstrated mercy toward him. You see, I think the lawyer's answer shows he's He's beginning to see that a ritualistic devotion to religion can prevent people from doing God's will, which is loving our neighbor. It was the religious heretic that loved his neighbor in the story, not the religious leaders, whose job it is, by the way, to show people how to love God and to love people, to love their neighbors. In this story, we see Jesus not only demonstrating how to be love in his own life and in in his own time, but to see love outside the lines, to see actions of love even in the heretics. Seeing love even in the heretics, the people we write off and they're outside of our lines, sometimes seeing love in them helps us see where we fall short of love. The religious policies and paths for loving God prevented the religious leaders from loving their neighbors well. The priest, the Levite, had a set 
a set of rules, religious rules, rites, practices, paths from temple to home. If you read the story, they, they're going from you know the Jerusalem to Jericho, from temple to home, from home to temple. They've got this, this path. This is how we love God. This is religion. This is the journey. And then they had religious rules that didn't allow them to engage or interact with religiously unclean people, people outside the lines. They had created a religious right not to help their neighbor. I think the statement by the lawyer that the true neighbor was the one who showed mercy is so revealing. This man is realizing that sometimes a set of religious rules, rites, paths, practices actually prevent us from loving our neighbor. It actually can blind us from seeing that we aren't loving our neighbors. Do you see what a huge revealing moment this is? For this religious leader, do you see what a huge revealing moment this is for you and me and maybe the church if we have eyes to see and ears to listen? If how we believe we are supposed to love God prevents us from loving our neighbors, we need to revisit how we're loving God. This is a crucial lesson for the church right now. We often think, we're the good ones, we're the good Samaritan to the world, when in fact we may look a lot more like the religious leaders walking by a broken and hurting world to everybody else. This is how you miss the moment. This is how the church misses moments where people could see Christ's love rather than than sense like a, a sense of separation and maybe even dislike and disdain and hatred. This is how you miss the moment in a pandemic to love neighbors because our religious patterns, our religious rules, and our rights blind us from being able to love. As I want to invite our church and anybody who would listen into the super bloom. There's been a wildfire. If there's anything I know about following the way of Jesus is, is that it's a death and resurrection way. And when there's destruction and death and brokenness, resurrection, new life can come out of that. So I want to invite you to come the next few weeks. We're going to be learning from Jesus how to move from a divided life to an undivided life, from from hurt toward wholeness and a fractured time to a flourishing way of life individually and in community. Guys, I love you so much. Let's join the Super Bloom. See you next week. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Garden City Church, reach out at info at gardencitynw.com or click contact in our show notes. Garden City services are made possible by your generosity. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.